When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you ever disrespect me like that again, I'll skip the court martial and blow you out the airlock. Cool. Well, live long and prosper. Don't you give me that sarcastic Vulcan salute. Beck it! Welcome, everyone, to the Positively Trek Lower Decks Review Show. I am your host this week, Dan Gunther. With me, as he is every week, is, of course, my co-host, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how excited are you to talk about Moist Vessel? Um, well, are we talking about the episode? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm excited to talk about that. And I love the fact that you say that I'm with you every week, because now I'm tempted to just not show up a week, so you can't say that anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, no, don't do that. Okay. I can't do this alone. Okay, but yes, I'm here every week to talk about moist vessel or anything else. Excellent. I, I feel like we can probably take a drink every time one of us says the word moist in this episode, you know, just to really annoy people who just love that word, you know? I think it'd be more appropriate that every time we say the word moist, we spit take what we just drank. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in this episode of Moist Microphone. Okay, um, well, joining us for the first time, this is the first time we've ever had a guest for the Lower Decks Review Show as well. So uh, this is exciting. I've long been a fan of this guy. Joining us is YouTuber Steve Shives, YouTuber and podcaster, I should say. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. No pressure. First guest on the Lower Decks Review Show. I'm, I, I hope I don't completely blow it for whoever the next one is. Well, we've had so many episodes that I, I'm surprised it's taken <laughs> this long. I, yeah. We're, what, three or four years into the show now? And, you know, it's become <laughs> such an institution. The pressure's really on. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, I, for one, just kind of a bit of a update for Lower Decks as a whole right now. I am enjoying the heck out of this show, and I'm I'm really enjoying it on this level of just having fun with this and kind of embracing the Star Trek tropes and that sort of thing. So maybe just get a sense from both of you at this point, four episodes in, 40% of this first season is done. Uh, how are you guys enjoying this show? Well, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I think I'm liking it more and more because I'm getting more used to it because it's not your typical Star Trek. I mean, the first episode, 
I laughed quite a bit. I still think the first episode is the one I had the most laughs out of. And I've gotten to the fact that I shouldn't keep measuring each episode based on how many laughs I I have, because that's the way I've been doing. Because I didn't laugh a whole lot. I mean, I laughed at this last one, but I, I... I don't know. I really, really like this episode, even though I didn't think it was as funny as some others. I just really enjoyed the story and the characters in it. I, um, I've enjoyed the show quite a bit so far. I, I was one of those people that was kind of, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like super thrilled to see it before it started, but I, at the same time, I wasn't someone who was like predicting that it was going to be a disaster either. I was just sort of very wait and see about it, you know, like, well, it could be good. It could be not good. And I've been actually a little surprised by how much I've liked it. Uh, cause I, I do think it's really funny and I do love the way that it, it, it's obviously written by people who know Star Trek and have a lot of affection for Star Trek and know the tropes and sort of know what gags to put in to make like a long, like a lifelong Star Trek nerd like me really laugh. And I've really, really liked it so far. I've been, uh, I don't, I don't know if I would say pleasantly surprised because I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but, but I, I'm liking it more than I think I expected to based on, you know, the trailers and the advanced word about it. Yeah, I feel much the same way. I I think I was pretty excited about this, but yeah, Mike McMahon and the entire team there have just really knocked it out of the park, I think. It's so clear they have this deep abiding love of Star Trek and uh you know, they they do the Star Trek tropes, but it's never in a mocking way. It's in a like kind of poking fun at ourselves way, if that makes sense, and uh, I really do appreciate it. This episode in particular, Bruce, I'm kind of lined up with you. I didn't laugh as much in this episode, but I think I really appreciated it as kind of an actual genuine Star Trek episode. You know, there there was the mystery of the ship, which, you know, they didn't really explore the background of it, but it served as the impetus for the episode. And uh, going forward, we have the interpersonal stuff happening with the crew I find myself caring more and more about these characters and not necessarily looking for the big laughs, but instead caring about what happens to them, which I think is kind of a necessary uh, step for this show to take. And I think this episode is a really good step in that direction. Yeah, I think when, exactly it. It's like the characters. It's I've really come to adore the characters. And so I'm just interested to see what they're going to do and, and what they're going through and you know, even Boimler just realizing, hmm, you need to break the rules in order to advance or whatever. You know, just those little things you're like, oh, gosh, Boimler, come on. You never seem to get your act together. Like, no matter what you try to do, it always is going to work against you. And of course, this does. But we'll get more into that in this episode. But yeah, I really enjoy the characters. And, uh, you know, I find myself, if I rewatch an episode, sometimes I find myself laughing at different things that I didn't laugh at before. Or I pick mm-hmm. up on other things. I I do feel like these are good to watch at least twice because every time I watch it a second time, I notice something in the background I didn't notice, or a reference I didn't pick up on before or just something that I didn't laugh the first time. But for some reason, I find it funny this time. Yeah, absolutely. The, these definitely benefit from rewatching, and uh, you know, we'll we'll get into the Easter eggs as well that that we found. And there's some really deep ones in this one, not as many as maybe in previous episodes, but what is there is kind of crazy deep cuts. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about the story a little bit. So we've got kind of two main A and B plots going on here. 
Uh, the A plot, I would say, is Mariner and her kind of increasing, I would say, obnoxiousness around the captain and the crew. And this cold open, it should be said, this cold open is the first one we have that kind of ties into the rest of the story. It's not really separate from the rest of the episode. But, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people online saying they find Mariner really obnoxious and, and that sort of thing. And I didn't really think so. Until this episode, she was really over the top obnoxious in that first scene, I think. <laughs> I kind of like what they're doing with Mariner because I don't, and I, we've only, we're, we're four episodes in and you're, you're starting to get a, a good sense of the characters, but sometimes it's difficult to tell, it's, it's difficult to divine what a writer's intention is sometimes. But I have this feeling that they're doing something with Mariner where they're sort of, they're making her not just obnoxious, but also she's she's just incredibly competent. Like she always knows what to do, and she and and it's like she's too good of an officer, even though she's really ambivalent about the whole thing and doesn't want to be promoted and doesn't really you know seem to take to her duties all that well. But she's obviously really good at pretty much everything, and I feel like the writers are doing that intentionally to poke fun at this idea that you know that that characters in the new versions in, in the new shows are are mary sue characters you know what i mean like people the people who don't like the shows like to complain about that and say oh the characters are too perfect and they're too competent and they never make mistakes and blah 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 and with mariner because this is a comedy show you can take that and you can make that into a joke you know and you can be like oh actually yeah she is really good at everything and you can play it for a laugh and i've really really enjoyed that you know and i think like the the fact that the captain in this episode promotes her as a form of punishment <laughs> like the captain promotes her knowing that she will hate that you know because like even though she's this great officer she obviously does not want the responsibility and the pressure of having a higher rank i thought was i thought was terrific yeah i like your comment about the mary sue that's interesting i hadn't thought about that way but i i can see that for sure the th the thing i really relate to with mariner in, especially now in this episode, because I know in the last episode I said, okay, I've, I've already determined Mariner is my favorite character in this series. But in this episode, it really started to come out as to why, because I feel like Mariner is my inner self. And what I mean by that is not that I think I'm great at doing everything in my job. I certainly don't think that. But in a lot of ways, and if anybody I'm working with is listening right now, I apologize but, you know, there's so many times where I'm just like, am I the only smart person in the room right now? Am I the only one who's getting this? I'm kind of looking around this room now going, hmm, uh, hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's like, especially that scene when she's in there with the uh, senior officers in the conference room. I was just like, that's, that's me in my head sometimes. Because, you know, I'm, I'm now an, an executive level at my company and I sit in those rooms with the the top brass and there's just some conversations where you're just sitting there. You're just like, why, why are we talking about this? Why are we harping on this? And this, there, I wish I could yawn right now. I really do feel like I wish I could slam my, my face down on the desk and just go, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Mariner is my inner self. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of arguments about whether a leather stripe down the chair is too ostentatious or 
These are important issues that need to be settled. And not only that, that that conversation happened in the previous meeting. Why are we still talking about it? (laughs) Yes, I did love that little bit of a tidbit there. That was good. I I love that we're seeing more of the senior officers as well. Uh, In the course of this story, we get the poker game, the executive poker. I love that. Um, I think Lieutenant Shax doesn't have a lot in this episode, but what he does I just love like him wearing those uh, sunglasses during the poker game. And then like one line and it's spoken off screen is, you know, when he uh, clears off the uh, tape from the turbo lift and activates the turbo lift while Mariner's working on it. And she yells, you know, I'm working in here. And you just hear off screen. Sorry. I just, I don't know why I love this guy so much. (laughs) That was an example of, uh, of of one of the things that I really liked about the show in general so far is that they really they seem to go out of their way to make a point of how positive everybody is. You know, like like there was the subplot from a, a couple episodes ago, you know, when Rutherford was like bouncing from division to division. And then whenever he wanted to change divisions, everybody was always super supportive. They thought it was great. And in this, you know, yeah, Mariner's like on top of the turbo lift and she's, you know, like, hey, I'm working up here. And he's just like, oh, sorry. You know, he's just everything. Everybody is so positive aboard the ship, which, again, is like a trope because that was one of the things that people have in the years since TNG ended. They sort of complained about like, oh, the ship life was just perfect on the Enterprise D. Everybody got along. There was no, you know, internal ship conflict. And it's like they're taking that to a comic extreme, you know, to go out of their way to show us, oh, yeah, everybody really gets along great. And they're all super supportive of each other to the point of absurdity almost. Yeah. And even uh, Shaq saying this is a friendly game, you know, lampooning the poker games we <laughs> see on the Enterprise D, of course, where, you know, we don't go all in. Are you crazy? <laughs> So uh, with regards to Mariner's story, yeah, we talked about how uh, the captain promotes her to kind of punish her. Uh, Before that, of course, she gets assigned all the worst jobs. And we get kind of a a direct call out about what most people use the holodeck for, which I thought was, you know, kind of an obvious joke, but still a really good one to make here. (laughs) I really want to know what the bleeped out words were that Ransom said exactly. I wondered that too. I want to know exactly what he said. Because whatever he said, if that's what the use of the holodeck has been for most of the time, that becomes canon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, and, you know, you're right. I mean, it is an obvious joke, but I feel like if you're doing a Star Trek comedy show and you have the leeway from the producers or the studio or whatever to make that joke... It's one of those jokes that you kind of have to make because everybody makes the joke anyway. Like everybody who's watched the show and the show, it's like TNG even dropped a couple of safe for network standards and practices, but still some pretty obvious hints that that's what people use the holodeck for. Like that scene in uh, the episode, uh, what is it? The Yeah, the perfect mate. And, and she like, you know, comes on to Riker. And Riker resists, and he's like, no, I can't, you know, this isn't right, I have to go. And as soon as he's out in the hallway, <laughs> he, like, taps his communicator, and he says, if anybody needs me, I'll be in Holodeck 4. It's like, whoa, okay, <laughs> we know what's going on there. Um, so you have, like, you have to make that joke, you know? You, you can't do a show like this and not at least reference what everybody assumes the holodeck is usually used for. I recently saw, I think just yesterday, uh, somebody posted in a Star Trek group 
uh, a meme and you know that meme format where there's the two buttons and then it shows the person like sweating and he's like Ooh, I don't know which one to hit uh, the one button was uh, the wildest sex with anybody you can possibly imagine in any location whatsoever and the other button was recreating 19th century uh, historical fiction and the, the guy is labeled holodeck user uh, I, I don't know which one to pick Yes. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we all know what would be picked most of the time. It's, yeah. I don't know. Speak for yourself. I would love to do nothing but Sherlock Holmes stories. I don't know about you guys. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, being a, a nanny to a bunch of bratty kids in the in the 19th century, that's where <laughs> in, it's at, right? In a, in a subplot that lasts for multiple episodes and never connects to anything. Never. And goes nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it goes nowhere. Uh, so, uh, yeah. We get the uh, this generational ship, this fluid aboard it is, uh, I, I like to call it the Genesis fluid, right? I mean, this stuff basically brings life from lifelessness. Totally. That's what it seemed like to me. Uh, and it, it, of course, escapes containment and gets aboard the Merced, which is the sister ship to the Cerritos that's involved in this mission. And, of course, it gets aboard the Cerritos as well. And this is where I think we talked a little bit about Mariner's competence. That's where that shines through, where, you know, she kind of shows the captain that like, yeah, she is good at her job and she is really competent. I feel like almost she's the character that's like the advanced student who's getting bored in the class that acts out kind of thing. I feel like that's the kind of character she is at this point. Well, and also, I mean, that's that's a fairly typical Star Trek character type. I mean, all of them are good at stuff. Like it's, I just, I, I've always, I've found it so unusual to hear, you know, the, the people who have not been fans of the the new crop of shows complaining about like how the the protagonist is too good at stuff. It's like, since when has there been a protagonist of a Star Trek series who wasn't super competent at almost everything right. they did and beams down at every away mission. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just, it's just a really silly criticism. And yeah, and the fact that, you know, you see Mariner uh, and there's that nice moment between her and the captain where the, the captain, I think it's something like the captain says, you know, that's exactly what I was going to do. You know, like when Mariner suggests the solution to the problem to release the compound. And of course, just like in TNG, they release a gas into the ship and it fixes everything, <laughs> you know, um, and, and she's like, oh, that's exactly what I would have done, you know. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, typically Star Trek magic wand reversal. I even feel like this episode might be making fun of the uh, the reset button as well, because like not only is that just completely reset with a bit of a tech thing, but we also get Mariner uh, back demoted to her original position right exactly to where she was at the start of the episode in the course of an hour, as Boimler says. You know, the, I, the, I like that because... It, it kind of keeps with my head canon when it comes to Voyager and Harry Kim. I just always want to think that Harry Kim did get promoted, but yeah, he got demoted and we just never saw it on screen. That needs to be like a fanfic series or something where it's it's the episodes between the episodes yes. and it's Harry it's Harry getting promoted and then screwing it up somehow and getting demoted again by the start of the next episode. It's <laughs> promoted like 10, 20 times in the whole series. <laughs> demoted every single time. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Uh, so we've also got the uh, B plot of this episode, and this is kind of uh, we've we have Tendi front and center, which I really appreciated because I think from early on, like the first episode, I was really interested in this character, and I like that she was kind of used as an audience surrogate for that first episode, but then she kind of took a bit of a backseat for the last couple. Uh, now she gets kind of front and center in this plot where she gets to witness this guy ascending. Uh, what did you guys think of this subplot as a whole? Uh, and, and we'll get to kind of where it goes at the end. And, and I have some thoughts on that. But yeah, uh, just yeah. kind of as a whole, what did you think of this guy? <laughs> yeah, you know, of the guy, what would I think of the guy? The guy, um, well, that whole storyline, though, to me, I, I really thought it was cute. Because like you're saying, we're seeing more of Tendi. And, and this guy is like, you know, stay away from me. You're ruining everything. And then to find out, oh, it's just, you know, the way they're doing things and what he's been doing this whole time is just because they want to be liked. And so, oh, well, if, you know, we're just trying to do whatever we can to, to be liked and have friends and we must be best friends. And it's just the whole idea of just trying to do and trying so hard to do something just to be liked you know instead of just naturally letting things happen but i just thought it was cute i think it was it might have been my favorite part of the episode and that's that's a pattern i've noticed in the show so far is that because in in the first episode and uh and then also the second episode my favorite parts or the parts that at least the parts that I thought were the funniest were the subplots. Um, I loved both of Rutherford's subplots. You know, I mentioned already when he, he keeps changing divisions. I thought that was really funny. And then in the first episode, I absolutely loved the, the subplot of him going on the first date while, while, while all hell was breaking loose on the ship that cracked me up. I thought that was so brilliant. Um, and then, then this time, yeah, Tendi and, and the guy who she, she totally ruins his ascension. And then, she, you know, trying to make it better by, but actually making it worse until the end, uh, by trying to sort of jumpstart him back up to, you know, his ascension. And I just thought, I thought that whole thing was hilarious. And I loved her. Yeah. She, yeah, she's, she wants to be liked, but also it's like, she, she, she just wants to make it better. You know, like she's sorry that she screwed it up and she just wants to make it better and to make this guy happy. And, and you know, she the, the harder she tries, the worse it gets. Yeah, she wants to make him like her. You know, everyone's got to like her, you know. Bruce, when you said you see yourself in Mariner, I, I think I kind of unfortunately see myself in Tendi a little bit. And it's, to, you know, when I find out somebody doesn't like me, maybe I'm not following them around and, and trying to get them to like me, but I'm probably asking like 10 to 15 mutual people, like, why does this person not like me? <laughs> it's probably, I should probably talk to somebody about that. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, I just want you to know that we, we like you. So, Aww. well, thanks. I, I'm not going to lie. I needed to hear that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I love Tendi in this. I think, uh, th this was a really great turn for her character and, uh, yeah, this, this guy, so he does, he's not even really trying to ascend. He just wants to stand out in Starfleet. He wants to be the Ascension guy, but over the course of his pretending this, he's actually gotten to the point and, we get that scene at the very end where he actually does end up ascending and you know, this, this part, and I've seen this said in a lot of other corners as well. This part really strikes me as like showing it's Rick and Morty roots, 
you know, this, this felt like something out of Rick and Morty, like that kind of fast paced, uh, screaming in terror and he's ascending to this other level and, and the really quick dialogue and stuff. Uh, and the fact that of course, it's actually a really painful and kind of horrific experience to ascend to a higher plane. Well, and, and just the absurdity of it. I mean, he sees like a giant koala, I mean, there's just the, there, it, it hits this whole new level of absurdity when he's in that final moment where he's, you know, becoming one with the universe. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, a, um, an inversion of our expectations because it turns out he doesn't seem like he's having that good of a time actually. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just this weird vision of like the completely inexplicable, like, wait a minute, what, what, how is this the meaning of, of life in the universe? This, what this, I don't understand this at all. And then he's gone. <laughs> Why is yeah. the koala smiling? What does he know? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the biggest laughs I got out of it. Yeah. And again, and because it's so fast, like you don't even realize what's happening. It's literally a matter of seconds. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I like Tendi saying, drop and roll. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was my favorite line of the episode. She's yelling, drop and roll. And then she starts yelling, drop back into the physical and roll. Drop back into the physical and roll. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I, I thought that was a great little twist ending and again something that i think you know this animated format this comedy format can get away with whereas you know more of a live action one they can't go quite into this level of absurdity also you know i was noticing and, and aaron harvey mentioned this uh in the live chat that we were doing last night this is kind of the second episode in a row where there's a bit of a stargate influence slash reference because you know we see ascension not quite as we've seen it in star trek we haven't seen like human people ascend at least not assist unassisted by other beings of some kind this felt more like what we see in stargate with daniel jackson ascending to a higher plane of existence and then of course last episode we had a character humming the theme song to the show which you know we noted samantha carter did in stargate so kind of interesting there they're they're referencing more than just uh star trek i think well if you're going to do a show like this i mean i, I you know if you're going to do star trek as comedy it makes sense to loosen it up a little bit you know i mean why not, not just in terms of the things you can do with animation more easily than you can do in live action but because of the tone of the show because they have established this very sort of loose absurdist self-referential tone you know like why not because i mean very few people very very few people who are big star trek fans only watch star trek you know, like there's, there, there's, there's always like, yo, you watch, you like Star Trek and you also like Babylon 5 or you also like Stargate or you also like Star Wars. And, you know, it just, it, it's, it's, again, it's, if you have this opportunity, if you have this platform to do this show, those are the jokes you just, you're going to make. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love that idea because I would like to see some of that more, these little Easter eggs to other franchises, other series and movies, you know, even maybe even on the Orville, you know. Because in the Orville, the captain's got Kermit the Frog on his desk. What if our captain had a little plush animal sitting there one time? Just little things like that, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I, I think they're going really deep with the references outside of Star Trek as well, because there's that shot in the second episode that, you know, we kind of figured was d lifted directly from the movie Enhancements. A lot of people picked that out. And uh, Brandy Jackala last night found a shot in this episode that we're pretty sure is directly lifted from Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, which is 
<laughs> I mean, if that's intentional, that's an, that's amazing. I'm just surprised she knows Godzilla and versus Space Godzilla well enough to pick up on that. She had a lot to say about it. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it, so I don't know. I, I can't say that I have either, unfortunately. But you know. since you just mentioned the second episode, and this occurred to me, we we're talking about Ascension because. First of all, when when this character ascended, I was like, "What?" Like you said earlier, we've never seen a human do that. So my first thought was like, "Okay, this is a little weird. Like everybody can just ascend like that." But I just accepted it. Well, first of all, let me ask you: did Did you guys have an issue with that at first when it started? Like I did. I mean, I came to accept it because I thought it was the funniest part. It seemed a little abrupt, but I didn't have an issue with it. I mean, it didn't. You know, I I I just had the thought of, "Oh, so people can just do that." But it wasn't, I mean, it didn't provide, it didn't make any kind of a barrier, you know, to me liking the episode. Yeah, I think at first I was a little bit like, well, that's weird. I don't think that, and then by the end of the episode, it's just, it's so funny, I don't care. Like, okay, yeah, it's great. (laughs) Okay, so going back to the second episode, because you mentioned that, when we're talking about the Ascension, it made me think about the very beginning, and I think pretty sure it was the second episode, where we see Mariner with that little energy being at the beginning and she's trying to she wants it to make a tricorder out of itself with the purple stripe and all (laughs) that then there's one little dot of it left and it lands on the captain and that that's the last we heard and i keep expecting we're going to get something from that or am i just reading into that too much i don't know i feel maybe reading into that too much but i also wouldn't put it past them to do something with that that's kind of where i'm at with it like if if it does come back, it wouldn't surprise me, but I'm not necessarily expecting it. I was mm. expect I was expecting it in that episode. I was like, "Ooh, something's going to happen to the captain," and when it didn't happen, I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe in another episode." And now I'm just like, "Yeah, I'm not sure if we'll ever see that." I just thought it was an interesting choice to have that happen, that land on her, and then nothing comes of it. Yeah, I mean, it it might be something that comes back. I could see them using it. I mean, we had like the the little spore land on Tilly way back in season one yeah. of Discovery that yeah. they revisited, right? And so. I wonder if that was just just supposed to be a callback to that. That could be. Yeah, it was maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so some Easter eggs in this episode. Uh, one that just blew my mind uh, was the painting in Mariner's quarters. Did did you guys catch this? It's a painting that has shown up in multiple episodes of Star Trek, the next generation. And it's this like floating life form in the atmosphere of Jupiter. I think Rick Sternbach uh, created this painting and that's what it's based on. And I was just like, that's amazing. (laughs) No, I didn't pick up on that. I didn't pick up on that, but that's really cool. Yeah. They're they're, they, they do. I mean, there, there are a lot of background references and stuff, you know, I mean, like I said, the show is obviously made by people who know Star Trek and take a great delight in, you know, celebrating it. I, I love that there are varying levels. I mean, we get, you know, Q and the Traveler called out in this one directly, of course. And there's the uber nerd people that like, uh, for example, the the molecule on the computer panel at the start of the episode uh, part of it is lifted directly from the polywater molecule from the Naked Now that makes everybody act really drunk. I saw somebody online had found this and I'm like, how? That's insane. Like, A, that they put that in and B, that people are actually catching it the day of release of the episode. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. And when when the captain and Mariner were going down, you know, the vines with the little waterfalls and stuff, I mean, it just reminded me of Genesis. Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, gets back to the title of this episode, Moist Vessel. 
I'm assuming it's because the vessel, the ship, is going organic with plants and life and moisture in the air. Yeah, I think there's a double meaning. And and I feel like I, I meant to look this up, but I feel like there's kind of a spiritual something about like some, something vessel that, that sounds like something to do with uh, ascending or something like that. Like, yeah. but I, I can't think of what exactly that is. I feel like there's a double meaning of that title that I'm not getting at the moment. <laughs> uh, so I guess before we uh, end the show, what kind of did you guys get to be the deeper meaning of the episode? Because I think there is one. I think there is a theme that kind of ties this whole thing together and thematically that that links all the stories and, and that we're supposed to take away. Because good Star Trek, of course, always has a lesson, right? I guess if it, if I if I had to think about a larger theme, it would be for this episode. It would it would have something to do with sort of managing expectations and not pursuing things that you that you think you're supposed to pursue just for their own sake, you know. Because I mean, obviously, Boimler is always after getting promoted, and he starts acting differently than he would usually act because he thinks that that's the path to promotion. After that happens to uh, Mariner and. You know, Mariner gets promoted and hates it and doesn't and, you know, doesn't want it. And and uh, the captain sort of has to learn to accept Mariner on her own terms. I feel like a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to do with that, like sort of accepting ourselves and accepting other people on our own terms instead of trying to force ourselves and other people into whatever the whatever box we think they're supposed to be in. But keep in mind, I am literally just thinking of that as I say it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm the same boat as you, Steve. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I haven't even thought about it. Do you mean it? <laughs> it's like that may be completely <laughs> off base, but that's what I'm thinking right now. That was the best BS I've ever heard on the show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, and here here comes some more for me. I, you know, what I'm thinking is it's kind of going along those lines of, and I don't even know if this is really what the meaning should be, but it's almost as if, when you're trying so hard for something, you may be missing it. And it, it's, you know, Boimler, and even though we're not focused much on Boimler in here, but he's trying so hard to go up the ranks and do the right thing that he keeps missing it. He keeps messing up. And Mariner's the opposite of that. Of She keeps going against the rules, but yet she gets a promotion out of it. And then we have Tendi, who's trying so hard to be liked and everybody to like her and get this person to be her friend that it works against her to the point that he doesn't want to be her friend because she's messing everything up. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the character's name, but the one who ascends, he's the one who is doing so much to convince people that he wants to ascend, but that doesn't, that's not what he wants but then he gets there anyway. So everybody's getting what they don't want. They're trying so hard to get something, but they're ending up with something else. Yeah, no, and I feel like what I got out of it very much ties to what both of you said as well. And I think for me, it comes down to the pitfalls of trying to keep up appearances and to try and worry about what other people think about you. And we certainly see that with Tendi, of course. She wants everyone to like her. We see that with, uh, and I think it's O'Connor is the lieutenant's yeah, name. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, is trying to stand out in Starfleet and, and you know, he cares what people think about him and what they see. 
And like, you can even look as far as the Tellarite captain, you know, he feels that like, oh, I need to stand out from this. I need to be recognized for my importance. My ship is going to be the one that, you know, is closer to this generational ship, which sparks the whole disaster. And it all stems from people caring what, what people think. And even the captain, I would say, you know, she's getting embarrassed by Mariner. And so that's what sets this all off as well is you know she doesn't like how mariner's making her look she says you know you're disrespecting me the captain's going back to his ship and telling them that i don't have control of my crew so it's an important issue but probably don't care so much about what other people think (laughs) and and the captain's goal is to get mariner to leave the ship and again no result it works the opposite so yeah I, i feel like This is one of the top episodes for me so far. And again, there's only been four, but this one, I'd say, I think episode two, Envoys, is still my favorite, but this one's right up there as well. And uh, if I was going to give it a rating, and I don't like the numerical ratings because they'd probably just be all 10 out of 10 and and there's no room for wiggling there, uh, I'd say I rate this one replicated macaroni with that crust on top that's so good from the executive replicators <laughs> i i'm up there with you i i don't know i really still like the pilot i the first episode i really like a lot is still probably my favorite but this i might say is my second maybe i don't know it's so hard to tell and the further we get in these there's no way i'm gonna be able to rank all these but anyway the point is i really like it i give this four and a half out of five puddings Ooh, nice. That's a good rating. <laughs> um, I would agree. I agree that I, I don't know if the pilot is my favorite so far, but I think in, in terms of a piece of writing, I think it's the best one because it does such a great job at establishing all of the characters and introducing the, the situation in a really, really efficient way that all, and also having it be really enjoyable and funny. Um, but this episode is right up there too. This is a good episode. I would, I would say this episode is good enough um, to be promoted to lieutenant, whether it wants to be or not. Nice. <laughs> yes. I love it. That's my rating. I love that rating. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to keep you here to uh, interview you in the flagship show, as we call it, and uh, really kind of dig in and get to know you. I guess I'll stick around. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but for those of you who may be listening, who uh, are maybe not listening to that episode, uh, Steve, where can they find you online to learn more about you and, and check out all the really cool things that you do? Well, you can find me primarily on YouTube. Uh, just go to youtube.com slash Steve Shives and you can see all my videos, including many, many, many that are me talking about Star Trek. Um, and also I co-host a couple of podcasts. Uh, there's the Late Seating Podcast, which is a movie review podcast, and then also uh, the Ensign's Log, which is a Star Trek-themed improv comedy podcast that I co-host with uh, both of those with my, my best buddy, Jason Harding, who is just a genius. Um, and you can listen to those at lemmylistenpodcasts.com. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Bruce, where can people find you online? Uh, you can just go to Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me occasionally on the Star Wars report. Because, you know, if you like Star Trek, you might like some other franchises out there, too. <laughs> Excellent. And you can find me at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Uh, you can find the show at Positively Trek on Twitter and look for the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Positively Trek and we will let you write in the group. 
Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode. And until then, stay positive. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.